Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. The time of this recording is September of 2019, and George and I, for the first time in almost a year, are in the same room together. Yeah, it's been a while. It has it has been a long time, long overdue, and I'm very glad that we got to uh, got to put a show together for it. Well, and that room isn't even in your basement like it usually is, or whatever that first floor area you call that is, because it's not quite your main entryway, but that's not really important here. What I'm saying is we're not at his place <laughs> you know, doing the recording. <laughs> we're, we're actually down in uh, uh, Kentucky at the moment. You know what? And this is an interesting milestone for this show because this will be the first show that we have done together outside of Illinois. With us being in the same place, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is, that's an interesting milestone. I, never, I didn't think of that. Yeah, it is. Huh. All right. Well... We are now, uh, this is officially a national podcast, <laughs> as in we record national nationally. National podcast, yes, yes, As it if is. it wasn't already, because we record in separate states as it is. We do. <laughs> but it's all good. So. Well, we are here in Lexington, Kentucky together. Uh, we have done a lot over the course of a long weekend, and we've got a pretty good variety of beers to talk about today. We're gonna, uh, we've got a couple things to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, some recent projects of ours. We're going to talk about a BJCP category that is rarely brewed commercial, commercially anymore and has, has some intrigue from both George and I, and that style is Kentucky Common. Uh, we'll give the category name later in the show when we look it up. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about bourbon. We're going to step away from the homebrewers topic. George and I got a bit of an education this weekend about bourbon. And uh, we're, we've got some, uh, got some facts that we're going to bring to the show here. Um, first things first, we have some bottles in front of us. We do. Yes. And they're, and they're not open. They for are not some reason. open just yet. I know we're, we're going to make this, I guess, uh, ceremonious. Yeah. So we have one home brewed bottle and we have one commercially brewed bottle. And uh, George is going to eeny, meeny, miny, mo to determine which one gets open first. This one. Okay. Went with, went with the homebrew bottle. <laughs> oh, good choice, my friend. Yeah. So we brought that. We both brought down, you know, homebrews from our various places. I brought down. Uh, an American pale ale that um, we should talk about. Yes. Uh, you brought a spiced stout, right? Yes. And then there's this one. Yes. Is, you want to go ahead and give it an introduction? Sure. This is a double IPA. I make this beer at least once a year. Uh, the recipe is pretty... Um, I think it's reached a point where I'm pretty confident with it. Um, as it pours right here. Uh, oh, boy. Okay. Thought I'd pass the carbonation. I don't know. Oh, I think doing I think the carbonation's right. doing, doing okay. Right. Okay, good. It's a little low for a uh, for a, for an IPA. But yeah, it'll do. Yeah. We've talked about our carbonation woes in the past couple episodes. Uh, kicking mine up to fifteen has really helped. Um, I think that's just. You know, with the temperature that I'm keeping my uh, keyser at and everything, it needed that extra little bit to be able to carbonate really well. Right, right. So, some background on this recipe. Uh, it's a lot of base malt and just a little bit of specialty malt. Um, it's a 90% uh, pale malt. Uh, and then there's a mixture of caramel 120, uh, no, I'm sorry, not 120, caramel 40 and carapils. Hop additions are Columbus uh, for bittering. That's two separate hop additions. Aroma additions of Cascade, Amarillo, and Simcoe. And then a dry hop addition of Amarillo. Cheers. Dry hop of Amarillo. A dry hop of Amarillo. Cheers. Mm. It's got a good kind of juicy flavor to it not quite new england style juicy but right. you know it's not it's not super bitter it's got more fruity juicy kind of flavors to it which is good thank you yeah i like that it. it's got i think it's got a good malt base um and i think the i think the i think the hops are just right 
I think that maybe that would be the one possible critique of this beer is the hop prominence maybe a little bit lighter than what many well, IPA drinkers would go for. If you're really calling it a double IPA, um, it's I think you could knock it up a little bit more. Yeah, most um, likely. Yeah, but as far as like a uh, what what you know kind of character people are going for when they're talking about an IPA, that's a lot of people are starting to gravitate away from the bitterness and towards the more flavorful hops and things and going after that. And that I think is that, true. That this hits a lot of those notes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So I uh, I brewed this last time. It was early in the year, and I ended up taking a very harsh lesson from that because I did not filter my dry hop appropriately, and a little bit too much of the hops moved into the keg and ended up clogging up my this uh, is the one that clogged my it dip up. tube. Yeah. yeah. So that became quite an ordeal. <laughs> I, I I choose not to relive that in too much detail, but uh, <laughs> yes, it, it did end up fixing itself. But um, it wasn't it wasn't for lack of effort. So, um, but lesson learned on that front. Um, I did it right this time. Um, it was thoroughly it was thoroughly cold crashed, and the level of the siphon was monitored very closely to ensure that that did not happen again. And success, yeah, did not good. have the same same issues. Uh, this is the first. This is the first beer that I have brewed uh, since completing the Keezer. Yeah. So okay. this this is kind of a milestone for this beer because this is the first beer to be made since, and also to be um, chilled, carbonated, and dispensed all within the uh, Keezer. And outside of this, is the first one of your kegs to not be chilled and carbonated inside of 47 right that's correct yeah so good old 47 oh, yeah, i know it's <laughs> i feel like i heard the right um uh i feel like i heard the right description last night to describe it it's like ripping off a band-aid because <laughs> I, I really feel like i'm left with no other options but there's just so much sentimental value with that fridge. I'm yeah. going to be so you, sad when I see that go. You might be able to like, go to a place and get a new compressor or something, but you know, that's it. That, that's not a practical change, but it's something know, that you could do. I know. You know? And being that I'm not an engineer myself, I, yeah, I, I that's, a, that's a mountain that's probably too high for me to climb. <laughs> I understand, though. So... That's my double IPA. Anything you would change about it or anything you're thinking of, like, kind of evolving or anything? Not at this time. Okay. Um, I This beer will be entered into the competition that both of us are participating in. Okay. So I may have a different response in a little bit. Right. Depending on some feedback that the judges give me. Well, the only thing that stands out to me, like I said, the if you're talking about, like, traditional IPA... It's a little light on the hops, but at the same time, the other thing, and I know that it was just giving you, you were just talking about some issues that I was giving it to you, but do you, how many ounces of hops did you dry hop with? An ounce and a half. An ounce a five and a gallon. half. I think it could stand to go a little bit more, to be honest. Okay. Get a little bit more of that aroma in there. Um, but that'd be the only only thing I might change in it. Like yeah. I said, the flavor is really good. I like Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I hope the judges agree. I really do. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Honestly, like the, the, the there's a re, there's a reason that I keep coming back to this recipe because it gets rave reviews among friends of mine. Yeah, well, I can understand why. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So speaking of that uh, competition, I brought a couple extra bottles with me because the competition is actually up in the Chicagoland area. Uh, so Jason's going to take that back for me. And I've entered the same beer in two different categories. Yes. So this beer is, uh, depending on which version we're talking about, we're either t- talking about Mine Run Ale, the uh, American <laughs> Pale Ale, or we're talking about, what was it, Lexington Blonde? Yes. Yeah. So we're it's the same beer, and it's the American Pale Ale that I made uh, based on some feedback from a brewer and some disappointment with the last version that I did. Mm-hmm. Changed the recipe around a little bit. It's now mostly two-row, 
with some caramel tan and uh, some carapils. And I also kicked up the hops. I do an ounce of Chinook at 45 and an ounce of Cascade at 20 with just the standard uh, American Ale 1056 yeast that I made a starter out of and everything. And there's been a lot... Let me see that. Oh, sure. There's been a lot of noticeable changes to the tenor and the palate and everything like that with this much better recipe than it was before. And uh, it's I, I think it's it's turned out really well. And for me, for what I like in a pale ale, I don't like them super bitter. I think that the flavor came through pretty well. But that's why we entered it in two different categories. Mm-hmm. We entered it in both the American Pale Ale category, but also, which is, uh, I think, 17B. Eight, I think it's 18. You're right, 18B. But then we also entered it in 18A, which is the Blondale. It is a little bit on the lighter side as far as color goes, so it fits that category. So we're going to see if the judges think that it tracks better as an American Pale or as a Blondale and see how that comes back. My take on that was almost the same uh, issue that I had with mine is that I feel like the hops were a little less prominent than what you would expect from a APA. So, right. so and I think I, I said this before and it's in, I still believe it. I think, um, I think as a Blondale, it's going to be received very well. Um, it's the multi notes are there. It's, easy tasting it's 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 very clean and honestly that recipe really um really lends to that too it's a clean straightforward no frills recipe Mm -hmm. um and honestly for you know for both of those styles i think it's very fitting you know i think the biggest i mean i feel like i feel like the difference between those between 18a and 18b Largely is the IBU differences. IBU and a little bit of color, uh, bit of is, color is yeah. basically what it boils down to. It seems. I mean, they, there's a reason that they both are, you know, eighteen. Um, right. They're yeah, kind exactly. of variations on a theme a little bit. But yeah. would you call this a lawnmower beer? This? No, the, the, yours or mine? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, mine's totally a lawnmower <laughs> beer. This you would okay. like fall off your lawnmower yeah, if exactly. you're going too long. But yeah, no, mine is absolutely a lawnmower beer, which is you know. Not a bad thing. Not so, at all. Yeah. Listen, hey, that's hey, that's the, to me when I think lawnmower beer, I think very drinkable, very right. clean and very drinkable. And I think the same kind of things when I think about like an American, what an American pale ale is trying to be is yes. clean and drinkable, and you know, with just just a little bit of bitterness going on, there right? Too, so right. So yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Um, like I said, bottom line, I'm much happier with this keg than the last keg of the American Pale Ale. Yeah. And uh, people that came up and helped me to uh, build a lean-to on my garage for my tractor, of all things, <laughs> uh, you know, agreed, and they really liked it as well. So I, I'm, I'm happy with that. How much of the batch was consumed during the course of the project? You know, I didn't check, but a bunch <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> Put, putting homebrew to good use. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, putting homebrew to good use and uh and you know my some of my English mild that I have uh definitely got drank up then as well. But, All right. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about this last one and then I got something a little terrible to confess. So Okay. Uh what about your other one that you brought? Yes. Okay. So I made a autumn stout. Uh, at least that I'm I'm kind of describing this as an autumn stout. I uh, I brewed this um, uh, under the heavy influence of a project that George and I did years ago, and I was really really excited to brew this beer and get a chance to share it with you. Um, this was this actually goes back to the very first recipe that I crafted myself, and it was oh, a yeah, it was, it was yeah. yeah it was an it was a this was we're going back to the year 2015. It was a autumn spice stout. Um, it was not made this this time with the original recipe, but it was uh, it but it did include the original uh, spice additions at okay. the end. So spice additions were all spice, nutmeg, and cinnamon. Right. 
Yeah. Um, so other things about it, um, it is a sweet stout, um, sweet milk stout, I should say, because there is lactose in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final gravity is higher because lactose is not fermentable. So um, my gravity was a little bit lower than expected, not dramatically lower, but lower. And knowing full well the volume of unfermentable sugars in it and also the spices, I knew this was going to finish high, and it did, um, but still pretty pretty, pretty much in line with um, uh, what, you, what you'd expect a spice, or not a spice, uh, a sweet stout to be. Mm-hmm. I believe that the spices come through very nicely, and this is still a very young beer. I just started carbonating this within the last week and a half. So... Um, I think it's starting off well. I do think that time is going to be kind to this beer, at least for the next probably month or so. Certainly could be, yeah. 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 So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to see what uh, what comes of this. I'm entering that beer into the spiced beer category at the competition. Um, there is an autumn beer category in the BJCP, and that was uh, that oh, was open there? for edition as well. Um, it was kind of a quick decision that I went with the spices just because it just felt right especially with and also the examples that they had they had stouts in the spiced beer category and they did not have any dark beer whatsoever in the autumn beer category i think autumn beer tends to be more the uh like the amber ales and the slightly lighter ones those were the examples yeah which okay yeah but i mean if if spice beer will take the stout then that's where i'll put it I think so, autumn, uh, if I if I remember correctly, like autumn beers, that they're kind of trying to target these guys of the world, like the pumpkin beers and things. I think so. So yeah, so, yeah. that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it turned out really well, and I think if it were brewed a little bit later with a slightly stronger spice note, maybe something like a, a sweeter spice as well. Um, could fall into the category of what a lot of people would call Christmas stout. You know, that has that kind of... That's an interesting point. Yeah. I had not thought of that, but that does make sense. If I had some... Just thinking out loud here, if I had something that would create some peppermint-type flavor to it... I, I mean, that's I think a little, that would do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that would do it. That's a little on, on the nose, but that would certainly have it fall into that category. What I'm thinking is like... Uh, like a five spice or an all spice or something like that. Just like those spices that have a little bit that edge a little bit more towards sweetness along with the ones that you have in there. Um, it give you that kind of, cause you already have nutmeg in there, which is a classic Christmas spice, cinnamon and all spice. And, all, and oh, you do have all spice. I do have all spice, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you may, and it might just be a matter of kicking that up a little bit, but it would fall into like what people would call it, that kind of Christmas, um, and what's the other one? Like they call it a celebration, I think, stouts so for like New uh-huh. Year's and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder though, and because I've I've made um, made beers with spices before on a number of occasions. Um, one of the things that I always have to remind myself is those beers changed noticeably over time. Oh yeah, like like some like some of the most dramatic changes in my own beers I've seen with those recipes. Yeah, they're definitely meant to be brewed at a certain time and not they're not going to be the ones where you're going to be doing a vertical later on exactly like year over year over it, year. Yes, you know? exactly. So and I remember a batch I did 2 years ago, I made in late November for a December competition. I remember taking it to a brew club in January and all the flavors that I was trying to bring out in that recipe were there in January. They were right. not there in, in December. They needed some time to develop. Exactly. Yeah. So that and that's that's what where my brain goes with this one because even if those notes right now are a little bit mild, 30 the, days from now, that could be totally different. Could be totally different. It'd be very interesting to try it in, you know, maybe October, November time frame, see yeah. how it kind of evolves yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Well, we may have to test that out. There may be some snow, snow globes, globes that show up in Virginia. Love snow globes, <laughs> Yes, man. exactly. Love snow globes. <laughs> All right. So that's what we brought. 
Exactly. Those are, those are the home brews that, that True. we brought. True. That's yes. the home brews we brought. And then we brought some commercial ones. Some is being generous. <laughs> so, few, just a handful of like uh, Oktoberfest varietals. Uh, Yingling did one um, yep. that we brought. We did bring our good old buddies over at Southern Tier made a, you know, they do the pumpkin each year, which is a very popular pumpkin beer. Right. Um, this time they did it, uh, well, they also have pumpkin, but they did a variety of it where they added cold pressed coffee to it. And it's a light roasted coffee and they added, added it to it to uh, um, kind of change it a little bit and give it that kind of you see that Thanksgiving morning kind of feel I think is what they're going for so we're finishing up our uh, our double IPA here and then we'll crack that open and see how that goes so reading the front of the label cold pressed coffee pumpkin empirical imperial pumpkin stout ale with notes of pumpkin and light roasted coffee I got high hopes for this because these are these are all things that I love. Yeah, <laughs> beer, coffee, pumpkin, spices. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> works yeah, for you, me. You won your way to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, let's take a quick break. Okay. Um, next thing we're going to talk about is the Kentucky Common. Uh, so we will be right back. And we're back. We are. And we have a full Yeah, we have a full bottle. (laughs) So that's a problem that can be fixed very quickly. And I was scolded, and rightfully so, during our break, that I did not pick out these beers. My lovely wife picked out these beers. She likes to go to our... to Wegmans and just kind of channel her inner George and figure out like what would he like to try, and and to be quite honest, she's damn good at it. I mean, not all of them I'm like you know blown away with, and I want twenty more of them, but yes. you know, usually it's like yeah, no, that's pretty good. I'm not sure I get it again, but you know, but she's found some gems in the rough. Let me tell you, that's awesome. So let's see if yeah. this is one of them. What do you say? Yes, let's do it. All right. Who's got the bottle opener? That is a perfect sound effect. Yeah. Oh, you couldn't have choreographed that. that. Okay. Oh, that was perfect. Right. Poured very nicely. So like nicely. we said, this is a Imperial Pumpkin Ale. 8.6 ABV. Okay. Looks very crisp, well carbonated. This, it looks filtered, doesn't it? It does. Nice and clean and clear. Oh, I definitely get the coffee in the nose. Yeah, yeah kind of bitter, kind of coffee ro- roast flavor in the well, in the scent rather, not flavor. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, my hope before I take the first sip of this is. The aroma is going to be good with the coffee, but I hope the coffee taste notes are a little bit mild, because this is a this is a high ABV beer. But I mean, this is a lighter bodied style of beer yes. as a pumpkin beer, so that coffee could very quickly overwhelm this beer. And that's if always you went high. that's always a hard thing. Is like you don't want the coffee to overwhelm. You got to remember it's beer at the end of the day. Exactly. You know? Well said. You have to remember that it's still beer. Now in Southern Tier, it's usually pretty good about that. I agree. So I agree. Let's Back. find out. Cheers. What do you say? I'm going to take a second sip before I say. All right. I think he's just milking it. I think he got it. Yeah? Do you think I, it's I not think, nice and balanced? I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's, it's definitely there, but I can't taste that and be like, whoa, whoa. It's, it's not there. So yeah. I would be disappointed if the coffee notes were any less than they are. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. But and you, the spices but you, still come through really well too. Oh, absolutely, they do. Yeah. So they tried to do a lot with this beer. So I guess my first, um, my first critique would be: I think it's really well balanced. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing to do. So, Southern Tier, well done. Hats off, well man. Well done, yeah. For New Yorkers, you do pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> a memory just came back in my head about my uh, my rant about the uh, the French toast Imperial Stout. Oh, yeah, that, who did uh, that? Uh, that was done by that brewery in Niles. Um I can't remember the It was so cloyingly sweet, wasn't it? Not only was it cloyingly sweet, it was motor oil. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. you did not you were not no, a fan. No, I was I was not. <laughs> no, and and right when I was talking about the balance of the beer and the coffee, that brought that back to my mind because that was a beer I mean, I would I would use that beer as an example of one that failed miserably as far as trying to create that balance. Yeah. This right here is a victory as far as achieving that balance with all the ingredients and things they were trying to do. I'd say so, too. In fact, the only one from Southern Tier that I think they kind of missed the mark on remembering that it's a beer at the end of the day, uh, although in the right circumstances it's still really good, is their cinnamon roll. So you and I had this together. I was a big fan of that beer. No, 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 it's good. Don't get me wrong, but I think it it leans a little too heavily on the the like making it taste like a cinnamon roll and not enough on it being still a beer. Is it too sweet for you? Is it's it, a little is that sweet? What, that one's a oh, little sweet. Okay, I mean that's one I, where like I get halfway through and I'm like, all right, I guess I'll finish this, you know, kind of thing. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I, I I'm a person that I. I gravitate a little bit more towards sweeter beers, so I think my palate will be a little more generous on that front. Mm-hmm. But to somebody who's who has less of that, I understand. Yeah. I understand. But I don't think it can be denied that achieving the cinnamon roll flavor, they knocked it out of the park. That, true. True enough. I mean, that's, that's still a... I have no idea how they did that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. So I guess to close this off, another kudos to Southern Tier. I, I've said this before, and it's worth repeating. I do still see Southern Tier as a gold standard craft brewery. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. And? Yeah. This is another victory. So well done, Southern Tier. Um, I certainly hope that there is a wide variety of Warlock available in the Chicagoland area in the next in the <laughs> ship, next two two months. Ship an extra pallet or two to Warlock just for Jason there. So yeah. to Warlock or to my garage. Well, no, to, <laughs> I was gonna say to Chicago. I meant to say to Chicago. Oh, okay, but okay. Chicagoland, your garage, whatever works. Yes. You know? <laughs> I fully support that. <laughs> So. All right, so uh, transitioning, uh, let's talk about a uh, BJCP category that's uh, that's uh, referring directly to historical beers, because mm-hmm. today we're going to talk about a historical beer, and it's very fitting because we're in Kentucky, and the beer we're going to be talking about is called Kentucky Common. So a little background on this, this... Um, this beer came up in conversation with me and George in the days leading up to our trip, and I had to research exactly what this was, and George George knew what it was before I did. So he said, hey, one thing we got to do up here is we got to find some Kentucky Common and find a six-pack of it. And I had to look it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not very common. I mean, we, uh, despite the name. <laughs> I was good. But, <laughs> yeah. Can we rename it Uncommon? <laughs> <laughs> but we did a, a thing in my homebrew club a little while back where we kind of pick, each picked a style and made it. And we tried to pick some unusual ones. And uh, one of the guys picked Kentucky Common, which is a historical um, beer. And it's pre-prohibition, and it's not very common around it anymore. And so he made it. He still has a little bit left. He said, well, while you're in Kentucky, which really honestly is one of the best places to find it, it you know, pick up a six-pack, six and we'll do a side-by-side, you know, figure out how he did compared to a commercial example. Mm-hmm. 
And so uh, we're looking for it down here. And yeah, I sent it off to Jason so I wouldn't forget. And it started a conversation. Yeah. So going back to the common comment, uh, we're gonna we're in our third day here in Kentucky, and we still have not found said Kentucky common beer. We've been in a few places, a couple tap rooms, and I have yet to see it on tap. Yep. Um, so and untapped even is kind of squiffy about where we can find it. So. Yeah. 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 So, but we think we have found a a place where we can round some up. Uh, it's called. <laughs> Liquor barn. <laughs> we're we're going to so, give it yeah. a shot. That's, we're going to give it a shot. That's, that's all we can find. <laughs> yeah. So you want, you want me to do the vital statistics? Yes. All yes. right. Uh, vital statistics yeah, from a, if you're trying to make this at your house, this is uh, number 27 historical beers. There's no ABC on these. It's just the historical beer group. Um, okay. And it contains ones like Goza and Light and Leish beer, London Brown Ale, like, ones like that so before we go get deep into this are these vital statistics specific to kentucky common they are yeah so for some reason like uh, like we talked about earlier uh 18b is american pale right they don't have 27a 27b they just have 27 which is historical beers and then they have sub examples i don't know why they didn't do the abc thing That's that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. But anyway, this is Kentucky Common. So if you're looking to make this at home, your uh, original gravity is should be somewhere between 1044 and 1055. Your final gravity should be between 1010 and 1018. So it's on the balanced but drier side. Um, your ABV you're looking at is uh, four to five and a half. So this is a sessionable beer. IBUs t- uh, 15 to 30. And SRM is 10 to 22. So right off the bat, a lot there's a lot of parallels between this and like an amber ale. That's right where my brain went to. Yeah. So, and it even says on the overall impression, a darker colored, light flavored, malt accented beer with a dry finish, which already sounds real good, doesn't it? It does. It does. <laughs> you know, here's, here's maybe a parallel to draw. Your... Blondale slash APA. Mm-hmm. If you added some caramel notes to kick up the SRM, it you, might. You yeah. may have a Kentucky Common. Well, let's look at the um, the the ingredients and things as well. Um, so, one of the things that kind of sets this apart from a amber ale or or like a or American Pale or something, a lot of times they use six row barley in this rather than the two row that that's right use. i do i do remember seeing that yeah um, and, I, and i tell you i've never used six row for I anything either I have, I'm, I'm intrigued and it and also is quite often uses corn grist as well so your your kentucky common is going to have a lot more of those kind of and that's the thing is where a lot of the dryness is coming from is okay that corn grist so well. right away i take back the comment i said about the blonde ale like with the srm change because right away just with that with the with the different malt notes this is a dramatically different beer right absolutely and this is they do say they do point out that native american hops in other words hops native to america mm-hmm. um are uh tend to be used uh and yeah saz sazer type hops uh can be as well so this is this is a style that's actually centered around louisville which is the other side of the state which mm-hmm. is probably why we're having some trouble finding it here hmm. and uh and it kind of grew up around there so the characteristics of the water and everything so if you're into water chemistry try to target a Louisville area water source, get a water profile from there. If you really are trying to get that Kentucky common flavor. Oh, that's good advice. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, tar- and use that as your, as your target for your water. There's many ways of doing that too. Oh yeah. As, yeah. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, I think beer Smith probably has, has a built in profile. It probably does. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Louisville was in there, but you can, I'm sure Louisville's a big enough place. You can, I'm sure you could look up there. Uh, water chemistry profile that too that too you know and and yeah well and i mean 
I'm speaking out of turn here, but Louisville is a city that sits right on a major river. Yes. So one absolutely. would think one would think that that river is feeding the city's water source. One would think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and if they, if you think about that, that's an exposed water source mm-hmm. rather than you know an underground aquifer water source, and that's going to give you some different characteristics. That's I mean, a there's good a point. reason why okay. like Burton on Trent is a sought after water profile and things is like those kinds of flowing exposed water sources. They're going to have different minerals and different, um, you know, elements to them. So that's a great point. Yeah. Um, so the style comparison on this says like a lighter, oh, sorry, like a darker colored cream ale emphasizing corn, but with some light character malt flavor. Malt flavors and balance are probably closest to modern adjunct-driven international amber or dark lagers, Irish red ales, or Belgian pale ales. All right. Okay. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that you'll have comparing it to like a more modern one is that corn influence. Because remember, in the ingredients, that was 35% corn grist. So that's an aggressive. I mean, that's that's an aggressive amount of corn. And then there. how much of it was six row? Uh, well, that's your base malt. So probably so, upwards of. Well, honestly, it could be all the all the rest of it, but you know, at least fifty, sixty percent. Six row and corn. <laughs> I'm really intrigued now. Yeah, I really am. Kind of want to try it, don't you? I, 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 I want to try making do. it, huh? Yeah, uh, I want to try it first. Well, I want to try it, but yeah. I kind of want to try making it too. I've never made a beer with corn, you know. I mean, I've always seen it as kind of a filler. But That's how I see it, I mean, is that even fermentable? Yeah, oh yeah, corn's fermentable. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. think about all the like the corn whiskey we we saw yesterday. One of those was just made purely out of corn. Actually, wasn't it that the what? vodka? I think was made. Uh, yeah, it was the vodka. It was made out of corn. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's definitely fermentable. Uh, hmm. I mean, what its potential is, I'm not sure, you know, but yeah. yeah. So that's that is, you know, Kentucky that's Common the, that's in a, a Kentucky nutshell. Common. And, you know, the thing is, like, with a lot of these historical styles, they're kind of coming back into uh, favor. Have you, I'm sure you've noticed that as well. Like, how many craft breweries do you go into and you find it goes on the on the menu? Technically, that's a historical style. More often, I'd say over the last five years. I do think it's grown in prominence. Yeah. I, I do agree with that. Um, what's interesting about craft, and I know we've talked about this before, but there's a different wave of go-to flavors each year. It does seem to be more, I don't want to call it fad, but trend-driven. Yes, yes. I mean, the New England IPA is an example of that. Four years ago, nobody was brewing New England IPAs and nobody was talking about it. Yeah. And then last summer, it's in every single brewery throughout the country and it's all the rage. True enough. And that's what people are seeking out. The year before that, Sours came out on 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 the scene and it was huge. Yeah. You know, every year there's a different brand of that. So... As far as the what you were saying about the historical styles coming back, yes, you're right. But which ones of those are you know people just going to magically have a taste for is is an interesting is is an interesting thing to try to discover. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that craft brewing has really because of the commercial brewers they're all about profit and 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 craft brewers they want to make money sure, but they're also tinkerers at heart typically. So. Like, would you agree with that? I would. Ag- I would agree with that. But I would be interested in like taking a sample size of craft brewers and asking them how much of their work is being done just experimental versus like crafting a new batch that they think is going to have wide market appeal. Okay. Yeah. Good question. And I don't know. I don't think there's a universal answer to that. I think you would have to panel. You know, five different head brewers from different breweries. And you gotta, I mean, and, and somebody has to take that chance. You know, somebody oh, made, of made it goes and it caught on. Somebody, 
you know, even with the the craft bre- craft breweries, even today, are still largely synonymous with the IPA style. I mean, that was like the first trend that brought craft brewing onto the market. Oh yeah, you know, so somebody somebody's got to take that leap, and I think typically that's going to be a craft brewer. I don't I don't see Anheuser Busch. Miller Coors being like, let's make a wide mass market no. Kentucky common. There's, there's no, no, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no, there's no way. Yeah. Um, certainly, uh, creativity is valued in the craft scene, mm-hmm. and that's a great thing. That's that's one of the things that makes that makes craft beer what it is, and it's one of the coolest things about it. Agreed. Absolutely. So, um, that would be a very cool thing to see that see this pop up in a more wide fashion than it is right now. And and just to cast the net even wider, what are the other subcategories in that historical beer in category? Historical? Yeah. Okay, let me take a look. It is uh goes uh or goes Well, actually, or... what's the count? How, how many are there? 10. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um so some of these I've seen before like a pre-prohibition lager. Oh yeah. Okay. You, know, you see that Commonly, um, goes like I said is 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 a little bit more common. Uh, then we have Kentucky Common. We have uh, Lichtenheiner, Lichtenheiner, which I'm assuming is German of some sort. Maybe, maybe um, probably a lager. Could be London Brown Ale. Uh, oh, that's interesting. They have that as a historical. It's okay. a specific type of brown ale. Okay, you know London Brown Ale. Huh. Uh, then we have Piwo Grodsky, which I'm gonna guess is Polish. Certainly sounds Polish. History developed uh, in Polish, <laughs> Polish city of Grodsky, also known as Graz. Uh, yeah, similar to a Berliner Weiss, but never sour. Has a smoked character, but less intense than a Rausch beer. Or a Rauch beer, depending on who you are. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we have a pre-prohibition lager, a pre-prohibition porter, Rogan beer, which is... I've had a Rogan beer in a home brewing setting before. It's a more distinctive variant of a Dunkelweizen using malted rye instead of malted wheat. American rye beers will not have the Weizen yeast character and likely more hops. So it's going to be maltier okay. with a rye character. Okay. And then we have shot, Shotty. Let me see that. It's a S-A-H-T-I. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. Shotty? Possibly. Sounds like he's from India. It, it does, but... Strong resemblance to Weizenbach's, but sweet and thick with a rye and juniper character. Uh, history. An indigenous traditional style from Finland. A farmhouse tradition for the, at least 500 years, often brewed for festivations like summer weddings and consumed within a week or two of brewing. That's a quick turn one that's a very quick turn yeah a similar tradition exists in estonia where the beer is known as kudlu yeah kudlu (laughs) kudulu let me see that again we're we're we are not uh known for our ability to pronounce things like that Uh, wow yeah uh, and then, since we went over those ones, let's look at the uh, Lichten beer, Lichtenhanner. Uh, history of that is made in central Germany. Okay. Uh, height of popularity was towards the end of the 1800s and widely available throughout the area. Like pre 19, no, sorry, like a pre 1840 Berliner Weiss. So it's got those kind of Weiss beer characters uh comparison is in the same group with of general historical low alcohol top fermenting central european wheat beers family and uh, same as kind of like a goes 
or the Grodsky or the Berliner Weiss has elements of all of them, but having its own unique balance. Sour and smoke are not found, uh, not as acidic as Berliner Weiss, and probably more, probably more like a smoked goes without coriander and salt. That is the weirdest wow. comparison. <laughs> wow. I can't even gauge that. I, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there. Like, let's see how... Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it's super light, super low IBUs. ABV is 3.5 to 4.7. And its final gravity is between 10.04 and 10.08. So, so really dry. And it's like almost champagne really quality. Yeah. yeah. I think it's fairly safe to say that this is not going to be the next rage in the craft beer scene. No, I mean, that... That de- that definitely <laughs> strikes me as a beer that's designed to be like, you know, they, they said a celebration beer, so you can drink it all day long, feel minimal effects, and just have a time, you know? Okay. Like people do with the American lagers these days. You right. Know? Yeah. Well, this was really interesting. We, we've not done a deep dive in historical beer um, varieties before, and this and the the Kentucky Common, I think, gave us a rare opportunity to do that. Yeah, I so agree. that's very cool. Uh, I would, I'd certainly be interested in revisiting this after we've had a chance to try a Kentucky Common. Yeah, and kind of share share notes. That would be cool. Okay, all right, sounds good. Cool. This yeah. is a very good catch. Thanks for bringing this up. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk bourbon? We should. All right, we're yeah, in, we're we in Kentucky. We're in bourbon country. Yeah. Yeah. This is a lot more c- complex than you, but to borrow than you would think. But to borrow a phrase from Rick and Morty, it's like brewing with extra steps. You know, <laughs> I, it's <laughs> well. Let's let's leave with this. There was only one part of the process that we saw this weekend that caught me off guard. As wow, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Did you have more than that? Was there two. more? You there had two. You had two. There's okay. two things for me. Okay, um, got it. So let's let's walk through the steps for. I mean, if if our listeners are not familiar with the distillation process, which that was me walking into this, so I just got my full my first full taste of this um, just yesterday going through the place. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of go through this kind of step by step. Okay. So um, starting off, um, your distillation quote-unquote brew day is fairly similar to what you would have in a brew day making a beer Mm -hmm. because um, bourbon is grain-based just as beer is. So you're going to start off getting your sugars to ferment from regular grains. Well, getting you're going to start off mashing them. Right, 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 exactly. So not not fermenting them right away, but like extracting them from there. Yeah. As you would do during a typical brew day. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess getting back, to the, getting back to what I talked about as the surprise, um, the actual process as far as the, um, as far as the, the quote-unquote mashing goes, was what was the one thing that George and I were not fully prepared for. Well, and we should preface this too, because we went to one and from my research it looks like other ones use this too, but I don't know if this we don't know if this is a universal thing as far as the the mashing process. Um but their mashing process at this place uh is called Barrel House and they they were extremely great as far as like tours and questions right. and things so one i would and recommend s- and small enough that you didn't feel very very small right absolutely it's, it, it, if such an animal exists it was kind of a craft distillery uh, yes absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely and they're i think what you're driving at here is their brew day lasts all day when it comes to mashing and that's all you're doing mm-hmm. is mashing because you don't add them all at the same time right you know, you add in, uh, I think they were working with barley, corn, uh, rye in a few places, and they mm-hmm. would add them in uh, throughout the day. And yep. if I remember the schedule, it was like seven hours, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Let me take a look at that. I did take a picture of that. So did I. Yeah. But what's most interesting about that is seeing some of the paperwork that they were doing on this mash 
it was a full schedule with time in and then time completed. Right. Start which, and stops times. Exactly. Which George and I were caught off guard by that. I mean, we, we were left looking at, at each other saying, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so this is like, for example, they started with 200 pounds of corn. And at a temperature of 186 degrees, started at 1229 and stopped at 1235. The next one is an addition of, it looks like A-M-Y-L. That might be Emily's. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so they added that in 179 for about a minute. So that might have just been a quick addition. But the next one isn't until... 142 so almost an hour later they added in 100 pounds of wheat and did that for three minutes the next one is not until two hours later at 351 and they added that uh, they added in 30 pounds of barley at 158 degrees so you can kind of see what we're talking about here like this is a, a situation where they're they're adding in things, and, and I'm not sure if they're holding the temperature the entire time, um, because the the next two they added, and I'm not sure these are brief, these are shortenings, but they added uh, one and a half ounce of glue. Is it looks like it says, and, and one and a half ounce of flow, whatever they are, at 121 degrees at seven o'clock, seven thirty at night. So again, almost two hours later. So the question is, are they holding that temperature, you know, or, uh, you know, and, and how's that brew day work? But, you know, as, as like I said, you can look at it and it's kind of our same process of a brew day just extended. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, all you're doing during that day is just mashing. Mm-hmm. You don't have your standard lottering process, boil process. These ounce additions, I can't imagine they're hops. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure the answer is no. No, I think, you know, preserving those guys, they just depend on the extreme amount of alcohol in there to just kill anything. Which, I mean, a distilled beverage certainly would. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, the other, I guess three things, because, you know, the other thing that was surprising to me was when they put it into the fermentation the um, original gravity mm-hmm. before fermentation, 1050. Yeah. I expect it to be higher. Yeah. I mean, most of the time when when they're done with the distillation process, these things are like 40, 50% alcohol, I right? guess it's kind of interesting thinking that after all that time and all that effort for mashing, that that's what you're taking out is a, is a 1050 liquid. Yeah. That is unexpected. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, but of course, knowing the distillation process, you just need some sugar on hand to be able to, you know, to ferment and everything else that's not alcohol is just going to get melted off. Right. So, yeah. And, um, also we saw, um, the fermentation process and the, uh, the fermentation is taking place with the grain still present. That was the second thing that surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. was that, that they don't take the grains out. They dump them all in add the yeast go to town and it's open air too it's open air yep yeah so we yeah we there was a wide open tank the uh yeast cake was was sitting there on top we we saw that just in you know in real time Mm -hmm. and yeah unexpected yeah uh the process after that and i'm sure there's a stopping process with the with the yeast that uh that we that was not talked about i imagine it's the actual still process well but but before that uh, remember they're taking that to a um and and pouring that across a filter right and they're using that's to separate the yeast and the grains and everything exactly so what i what i don't know offhand is if is if you're doing some kind of additive to stop the fermentation before you go go and filter out the grains I would imagine not because, you know, you, you, you want to get it down to, I imagine, probably pretty damn close to one as your final gravity. 
you know. Oh, yeah. Eliminating almost all the sugars there. Yeah. And then, you know, you put it through, there's probably not a whole lot left to ferment, you know. And they're not exactly going into a secondary either. They're going into a copper no. still. No, it, that's so, that's exactly right. Yes, yeah. you're going right into a still. So yeah, it's going to withstand just a lot of heat. You know, no kidding. So there's a lot of different ways to do this, and these guys use a slightly more traditional method. They actually have a mesh screen and a shovel. <laughs> yeah, very manual. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> siphon it out, run it through there, and yeah. That's that. So let's talk about um, number of times distilled, because yes. you see di- you see different beverage that are that are sold differently. Mm-hmm. You know, one time distilled, two times distilled. There is a vodka I know on the market that advertises itself as five times distilled. Forgive me, I can't remember which brand it is. Um, and I can't remember on this um, on this uh, trip we took yesterday if they clarified that. How many times their 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 uh, liquids are distilled? I think I remember their vodka. They said was three times distilled. Okay. Uh, as far as their bourbon, I'm not sure what they said, but it's definitely more than one. Uh, it was definitely more than one. I can't remember how many times they said though. But you know, I mean, so the dis- the dis- distillation process, you know, put it in a big copper pot, and with a kind of a reverse funnel on top. Yep, and then you know, boil the crap out of that, and then the steam and 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 whatnot goes up into there, goes through this condenser coil, mm-hmm. and you get a distilled liquid on the other side that is stronger, smoother, <laughs> and is jet fuel at that point. <laughs> yeah, you know? that, that you said a jet, yeah, jet fuel. Yeah, they actually call it white lightning before it goes into <laughs> a barrel or anything. So yeah. So, what is bourbon? What is bourbon? We got we got that answer yesterday. We did. Yes. So, bourbon, traditional bourbon is you have to have, or what they call it, straight bourbon, mm-hmm. is you have to have a single-use barrel. In other words, it's a oak cast, charred, charred, charred. on the inside, and it's not been used for anything else. Mm-hmm. You throw it in there, and it's got to stay in there for at least two years exactly. to be considered straight bourbon anything less is whiskey right so tell so you can impress your friends with that right what's the difference between whiskey and bourbon there you go yeah that's the answer yeah or, or depending on what it's made of it could be vodka or anything like that but if you're talking about the difference between whiskey and bourbon that's it well, one of the things that I that I also know, and this didn't get covered yesterday, because I mean we didn't do a deep dive on on vodka and gin, but vodka and gin does not have that aging process that bourbon does. No, typically not. Yeah. So I mean, your lead time to send out vodka or gin to the market can be very short. Extremely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you think of just the, you know, from a business standpoint. That makes vodka and gin fairly simple. Yeah. You can make vodka and a couple weeks later have it out on the market, theoretically. Yeah, that's very Bourbon, true. Bourbon, you got a two-year investment. And I think that's like when, especially when these guys are starting up, that's kind of why they have those varieties. So they can. That's exactly why they do. Yeah. They can make, you know, something that's going to take two years and still have something to sell in the meantime. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I know. I know one specific distillery that that's their story. Yeah. So. And actually, I'll have to look at their website because I think they, I think they've had a bunch of bourbon aging for several years now. That I think will probably be right around, right, right around time later this year. Yeah, and I don't. Th- I mean, I don't think there's. It's a specific thing like champagne or tequila where it has to come from that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that there's a pretty big assumption with a lot of people that if you say it's a bourbon, that it's coming from like the Kentucky. <clears throat> the Kentucky area and, and you know and I'm glad you brought this up because that came up yesterday when we were talking yeah um 99% of the world's bourbon is made in Kentucky yeah so I mean there's yeah and the rationale behind that was kind of interesting because the climate in Kentucky is is so much that the summers are extremely hot and the winters are extremely cold mm-hmm 
That's that was a description given to us because you this environment just has those extremities and those extremities just make it conducive to the um, the whole process. Yeah, yeah, Which, for sure. And you know, it was interesting. He was telling us also too. There's there's a a variety, well, not a variety, but a um, a term called you know barrel strength, where it's the strength of the you know the bourbon that's coming out of the barrel whatever it is so if it comes out at 150 proof it comes out at 150 proof but then you know that's less common what's more common is they want a certain amount of proof liquid okay so they'll take a uh if if it does come out at some super high proof they'll dilute it Mm-hmm. down to a certain level and so the trick is when you're when you're doing this is to try to make it as close to what you want it to be yeah so you don't have to dilute it and dilute the flavor along with the alcohol content in there that'd be interesting to see but because i know i get that that makes that makes a lot of sense yeah so I imagine that's a little bit of a balancing act for him. It certainly would. Because, yeah. I mean, you're certainly going to have a target that you need to get to. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it be 80 proof, 90 proof, or whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. So, And I just remember, do you remember why those, those cold winters were kind of important and everything? I don't. So you remember this? They tend to pack them in in the summer uh, when it's warmer, and wood is very—it's a breathing thing. You know, it expands in the summer, contracts in the winter. And remember, when it contracts and when it gets cold, the bourbon is able to get inside those slats, and that's where it pulls out those flavors. So that the the slats that the cask is made of actually contracts and creates openings. And more surface area for the bourbon to get into. <laughs> wow. Which is, why, which is part of the reason why Kentucky is so conducive to bourbon because, again, w- really warm in the summer, expands quite a bit, creates a good seal. Cold in the winter allows that to open up a little bit more and, and open all up the those flavors, flavors then to yeah. mm-hmm. lend themselves. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, he was showing us, he showed one stave. And the bourbon had gotten halfway through. You could see the line on the stage. I remember. Okay, yeah, that's what that was. Had yeah, halfway through, which is like a little bit of a, a worrisome thing if you're casking bourbon because if it gets all the way through, it's starting to leak. <laughs> you know? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you got a big problem on your. Then you do. You absolutely got a big problem, but. So yeah, that's our crash course on bourbon. Right. I, I walked in knowing just about nothing about it, and now I've got got a little bit, a little bit of a working knowledge. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I'm sure a, there's a lot more to learn. Oh, hundred percent, there yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here, here's another one. Um, I make homemade beer. I make homemade wine. Mm-hmm. Homemade distillation. You would likely blow up your house. I don't know about likely, but it's a possibility. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I would not recommend to anybody listening that you venture into the world of home distillation. Oh, and George is George is looking up the ceiling, saying, "Okay, how, how do I, how do I justify this?" I would like to do. I mean, I, there, it, I will. I will agree with him. The danger threshold of making beer mead cider wine much less than making uh making any kind of like bourbon moonshine vodka spirit type (laughs) thing yeah absolutely true that said it's what it's one of those don't try this at home kids thing that i kind of want to (laughs) try okay (laughs) You fortunately have a nice plot of land. I do. And a couple different possible locations on your said property that you could try this. Yeah, and getting approval for that is, is a rough one. Uh, yeah. 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 So. Well, is that one of the things that you would ask for uh, ask for uh, forgiveness before approval? From the government? Yes. From my wife? No. <laughs> you, you, you would not uh, not try it and then ask for forgiveness? No, oh, okay. no, right. no, 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 that, no. Okay, all right. 
Absolutely not. Not on that. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my my thought on that note: try winemaking. If you're bored with homebrewing, try winemaking. Yeah, winemaking's great. Winemaking's good. Mead making's good. Why, yes, mead making is very good. Yeah, yeah. Or then, or just play around with already made spirits. Make yourself some. Yes, Lipka, exactly. You know. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a lot of good bourbon out there on the market too. There is, there is. Yeah. It just if you guys blow yourselves up, it's not our fault. That's what we're trying to say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're here to tell you just what the what you know what the good projects are. What are much safer projects? We've gone into that already. Beer making, wine making, <laughs> mead making. You're pretty well in the clear, unless unless you're. You've got something some fault, faulty wrong. equipment yeah. and something goes horribly wrong. Yes. Yeah. Distillation, there's a lot of heat involved. Yeah, there is. Long oh, periods. Man. Of, that was so intense, wasn't it? Oh, my God. They had the still going and it was this copper still and they just have this like burner underneath. But man, copper just radiates heat. And that uh-huh. room was cooking yeah. in there. Yeah. So on the next episode, we'll try, we'll try George's homemade moonshine, and then we'll revisit this topic. <laughs> and or go to my wake. <laughs> and or go to George's wake. I don't even want to put that out. <laughs> so, oh, I, I hate that on so many levels. Be safe, uh, people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah. So I mean, that's All right. Us from Kentucky. I mean, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was our that was our bourbon trip. Uh, we went from knowing very little about bourbon to knowing a little bit, and we got to bring that here. Um, this trip is winding down to a close, but we've got a couple things to do before we uh, before sure. we pack up. But um, yeah, I'm really glad that uh, that a show got to be a part of this, and especially the first time the two of us have been in a room together in almost a year. Yeah, so this was really great. And uh, we've got a lot more to come as well. Um, we will go back to our respective locations. And next episode will be probably not in the not-so-distant future. Um, our social media links, of course, are uh, Facebook at Nice Place to Brew and on Instagram at A Nice Place to Brew. And check out our website at www.aniceplacetobrew.com. And we greatly appreciate your feedback and also your iTunes reviews. And one last note before we close out. We, uh, the last episode prior to this, um, we presented some quote-unquote controversial topics about gentrification in the craft beer industry. Um, we did call out on that episode for feedback as far as to whether or not we think that George and I have our facts correct and kind of our ideologies correct. We still welcome that, and I want to put uh, put that out again that... We want to hear more from people on those facts and topics that we covered in that episode. Yeah, and on that note, I have received some feedback, and generally it's been positive of uh, you know, kind of us bringing up the topic and how we did it and everything, which I very much appreciate. But you know, one of the and we expected this. One of the chief um, pieces of feedback I've gotten is it's that's the start of the conversation. And, that's fair. And, and and absolutely. You know, I mean that's absolutely the start of the conversation is other people's, you know, voices and ideas and things that, you know, contribute to that as well. So yeah. yeah. I echo that also. So take so send us a message on social media. Um go to our website, leave a comment. Um just get in contact with us. Um yeah, we, we want this conversation to continue. Mm-hmm. As as you just said. So keep it coming. All right. All right. So let's seal this up, raise a glass. It takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Cheers.